Welcome to the Show Me Institute podcast. I'm Zach Lawhorn from Show Me Opportunity, and today I'm joined by Avery Frank, David Stokes, and Elias Chapellis from Show Me Institute. Elias, we're recording this on the week that the uh, Missouri legislature gets back from spring break. It's been kind of a busy first few days back, and one of the things that they've done is the House gave uh, the initial approval for a bill to cut corporate and personal income taxes. What are your initial takeaways from this bill? Well, I think it'd be a really good bill for Missouri. The The bill touches three different um, tax-related issues. So the first one lowers the state's individual income tax. Uh, right now, the top rate is 4.95%. This bill will lower it to 4.5%. Then it gives the uh, path for future uh, individual tax rate reductions. Then it also lowers the corporate income tax, lowers it. The current rate is 4%. We'll lower it to 2% and then provide a path to getting to zero corporate income tax, which would be really great for Missouri. And then finally, the bill exempts Social Security income from uh, state taxation. And in some of the opposition to this bill and bills like this, you'll hear concerns about revenue, cutting revenue. But when you talk about a path to cutting these tax rates, you mean revenue triggers, right? Right. Missouri already has a few of these, but essentially what these do, uh, this bill specifically lowers the rates immediately a bit. So the individual income, it lowers from 4.95 to 4.5%. And then for the corporate uh, tax, it lowers it from 4 to 2. But then if they want to go further, Missouri's revenues have to exceed previous years by certain amounts to then uh, go lower. So if, you know, People say the bill is going to cost, you know, say a billion dollars. I think that's the number that have been uh, cited in uh, news articles on the subject. Uh, that would only occur if Missouri's revenues keep growing. And uh, Missouri's actually been on a trend of um, historic revenue growth. And so really, this is a good time to uh, consider lowering the rates further because Missouri's uh, government has actually been growing substantially. And David, one of the things you talk about all the time when making policy around taxes is you want to make sure that they're cuts for everyone. They're broad-based and uh, they don't pick winners and losers or pick a special interest group, specifically around the Social Security benefits portion of this. What are your thoughts on on that? Well, that's the one That's the one part of the bill I could, I could do without, frankly. But overall, the the it, it it moves largely in the other direction, which is tax cuts for either all businesses or all Missouri residents. So it's a very good bill. I would you know, uh, as for that social security aspect to totally exempt certain parts of that for seniors, I I see I certainly understand why people want to do it politically, and I certainly understand the potential benefits of it for seniors. I think it's a better th- way to help seniors than the property tax freezes that have been discussed in Jefferson City a lot. So I do think this is superior to that. Overall, I could do without that aspect of the bill. But as Elias explained, there are many, many very positive aspects to this bill. And I think it's an excellent excellent bill, and I hope it passes. So Elias, where does it stand right now from a process standpoint? It's the initial approval from the House. Uh, Does this still have a long way to go, you think, to even get out of the House? Or do you think this has a path of uh, little resistance to the Senate? Well, I think I think it's going to have an easy time getting out of the House. It just needs one more one more vote there. And this bill passed, you know, pretty, pretty easily. So I think getting out of the House will be, you know, quite simple. But the real issue is going to be where or how easy of a time it's going to have in the Senate. Uh, Right now, the House is currently putting together its budget. 
And so they're kind of deciding, you know, how much money there is to go around. Because part of the idea behind this tax cut is that the state is sitting on over $5 billion in surplus. And so this tax cut could be a way to spend some of that down. But when you're looking at a budget for the next year, the House and the Senate can have differing ideas on whether, you know, it's a better idea to give money back to Missouri taxpayers or whether they would like to spend it on, you know, different priorities. And so we'll see if the Senate feels the same way, but I'm hopeful that uh, this bill will make it out of the House and that the Senate will at least consider it. And the final thing before we move on, I want to ask you about Elias, is that, uh, again, some of the opposition to this bill have mentioned recession, threat of recession. We've talked about before on this podcast a lot. You wrote a paper two years ago about making sure that Missouri's economy and our tax structure is resilient in the face of recession. As we sit here thinking we're going to possibly enter a recession at some point, um, what does does a bill like this and um, cutting some revenue sources. Does that raise any red flags for you when thinking about maybe entering a recession? Well, I think I think no matter what, if there's a recession, you know, income tax collections, sales tax collections, all those things are going to, you know, decline some amount. If people, if fewer people are working, there is going to be fewer um, dollars paid in in terms of income taxes. But right now, the state of Missouri is sitting on so much surplus money from the past few years, as I mentioned, over $5 billion. This is a way to give some of that money back to taxpayers and kind of keep the economy going. But there's also one additional piece that I'd like to point out, which is that even if this costs the state of Missouri, uh, you know, a billion dollars, as some people have said, that would still have Missouri's tax revenue collections substantially over where they were before the recession, but 2019. Um, it's really hard to um, overemphasize just how much Missouri's tax revenues have grown. And so a tax cut like this, which I do think would induce a lot of economic activity in the state, where even if there is some negative um, revenue impacts of this, the state will still be growing compared to even 2019. David, uh, it's the end of March in a couple of weeks here, beginning of April, there's going to be elections across the state and some local taxes are on the ballot. Uh, what are some things you're keeping track of? Well, April elections are like Christmas in April for, for David. It's like, this is the, the fun time of the year, tracking all the smaller elections with low turnout, sometimes minuscule turnout, but still a lot of stuff happening around the state. And this is the, this is the time where your vote really matters, whichever way you feel. And, you know, cities and counties, school districts and the like have tax increases or new taxes uh, on the ballot throughout the state. So some some interesting ones, of course, well, the main one is cities and counties around the state have marijuana tax votes on the ballot. And I think I'm going to we're going to discuss that a little more next week's podcast. But I want to focus on some of the some of the more direct ones, such as in Floridell Hills in St. Louis County, where last year city officials stole like $600,000 in tax money from the city, and those were city bureaucrats, which is a lot of money for Floridell Hills. They now have two different tax increases on the ballot to try to make that up, and I'm interested to see what the how the citizens of Floridell Hills res- respond to that. Uh, it'll, be, it'll be interesting there. Ashland, which is a city between Jefferson City and Columbia, they have a, they have a second 1% general sales tax on the ballot. They already have the standard 1% general sales tax. Then they already have all these half-cent directed sales taxes, but now they want to go with another 
full cent general sales tax, which would put them, as far as I can tell, as the highest sales tax rate in the state of Missouri at 3.5% if it were to pass. Uh, they want to use it for streets and police, certainly perfectly legitimate uses, but it remains to be seen if the people of Ashland want to truly be the highest sales tax in the state of Missouri from a municipal level. Kansas City and Springfield both have hotel tax votes on the ballot to expand, not to raise the hotel tax, but to expand it to cover short-term rentals uh, such as Airbnb and VRBO. I think on the, on the whole, that's probably a, a good public policy. There's no reason why taxes should favor one very common type of rental over, over another. Uh, Velda City, also in North County, has a very large utility tax. Uh, increase on the ballot, 10%. And one of the troubling aspects of this, first of all, that's a very large, a very high utility tax rate, but also the people of Velda City just voted this down last year. And it's very frustrating to see the city put it right back on the ballot. And we're seeing that's a utility tax in Velda City, but we're seeing that a lot on use tax votes around the state. And State Rep Ben Keithley has a bill, House Bill 1144, to put a moratorium on cities and counties putting tax ballots on putting tax increases back on the ballot when voters have just shot them down. For example, Maryland Heights has a use tax on the ballot. And like these hotel taxes, uh, like marijuana taxes, I'm not opposed to use taxes. I think expanding the tax base is a good thing, especially if you can offset it with tax cuts in more harmful way uh, for more harmful taxes. That said, the people of Maryland Heights rejected this use tax in November of 2022. And five months later, the people in Maryland, the city officials of Maryland Heights have put it back on the ballot. I think that's terrible. Chesterfield, Town and Country, and Fenton are all doing the same thing with their use tax. The voters there in Chesterfield, they just shot it down last April, and yet they're being asked to vote on it again. So I do think we need a moratorium on city officials saying, well, you didn't vote the right way, so we're going to ask you to vote again. And if you vote the wrong way again, we're just going to put it up again. So I, I think that's, that's terrible, the, the way they're doing that. And there needs to be two, three, four years between, the, between these votes. And uh, finally, St. Charles, you know, one of the larger cities in the state, they too have a use tax on the ballot. But in their defense, they have not had the use tax on the ballot within the past couple of years. So it'll, it remains to be seen. You're a St. Charles resident, Zach. I'm sure I you're am. Keeping, I'm sure you're having trouble sleeping at night trying to decide how you're going to vote on this on this proposal in two weeks. You've already asked me to quit texting you about it, and I, I just won't. I can't. You're right. I'm having trouble sleeping, and uh, we'll see how it goes. So we've got use tax. There's other use tax votes around the state, but and then tons of these 3% local marijuana taxes for the newly legalized recreational marijuana like use taxes and hotel taxes, if you can have that in a way, and particularly if you can offset it somewhat by cutting other more harmful taxes, I think that's that's generally good policy. But we'll discuss marijuana taxes more on next week's, ep- next week's episode. That's known as a tease in the business act. So without uh, talking about anyone's specific motivation, just speaking in general here, um, as kind of a student of government and elections, David, is there any game theory to getting something on the ballot, not just in consecutive elections, but from a higher turnout midterm election in November and then trying again in April in a lower turnout election? Well, certainly, I, I, I would bet that's what Maryland Heights is thinking, that they made a mistake by putting it on the November ballot 
in a major election, an even-year November ballot with high turnout, because it did lose, in f- just for factually speaking, it did lose just barely in a very high turnout election. So yes, I would think those city officials are are thinking, well, now let's go to a turnout, a 15 to 20 percent turnout, and we've got a better shot at shot at that. For the other ones in Chesterfield, for example, they it lost last April, and they're just putting it back on again. That's basically the city officials saying, hey, voters, you don't know what you're talking about. We need this money, whether they do or not is an open question. We need this money. I don't care that you just said no to it. We're going to ask you again, because without some type of change in state law putting limits on this, I think they're just going to ask and ask till they till they get it passed. All right, Avery, before the spring break in the legislative session, education was one of the headline items that they were discussing in Jefferson City. We're back, and uh, that means we get to talk about open enrollment again. So what's the current status of uh, that legislation? Well, before spring break, you know, I was I was real nervous because, I mean, it's a good bill. It's like, okay, so we're going to have kids. They're going to be able to go any public school they want. But there's a lot of different things to it there's transportation there's high school sports there's am i is there going to be a mass exodus of kids in my school so the house went and voted on it and it passed with just 85 votes barely got by and i was i was relieved because it was it was going to be a tough one it got through and now it's on to the senate the senate's gotten out of their filibuster and i i have confidence that it'll be able to pass through the senate Okay, and the current form of the bill that's in the Senate right now, you mentioned that some people have voiced a concern that there would just be this mass exodus of students. The current bill has a cap in it, right? It'd yeah. be 3%, 3% of students. That, has that done anything, you think, to gain support from some people that might have been hesitant uh, previously? I think this bill, it really it's a really detailed bill and does a good job of addressing a lot of different concerns. The 3% cap, I think is good. It keeps people from relieving so quickly. It lets people adjust to the open enrollment. And also the voluntary status. Although I don't I, I don't I don't really like the voluntary status if I'm being honest. I think districts that are near each other are going to be like okay, if we don't if we all don't volunteer because you can anyone can leave, but not everyone has to receive. So if everyone's like, no, I'm not, I'm not taking it. If we all collude to not take students, no one's going to leave because they're going to have no, they're not going to drive an hour to go to school. But so the volu- but I understand at the beginning we're going to have the voluntary, we're going to have the three percent cap, we're going to have schools be able to transition through open enrollment. I do think maybe in f- f- future years that there will be more of an open enrollment, making it um, ob- you have to be in it. The cap will be bigger. But I think it has to be in there for now, and I understand. Sure, and just to be clear for listeners who maybe aren't familiar with this legislation, this isn't talking about ESAs. This isn't necessarily talking about private charter school. It's talking about district school to district school. You go to a high school in one district. You want to go to another public, a traditional district school uh, in some other district. This legislation would, on a voluntary basis, allow those districts to open up if they have open seats. A lot, there's a lot of opponents in the public school sphere, like the usual opponents to like school choice expansion sphere that are against this bill. But the thing about this bill is it's a pro-public school bill. Let's say you're in a district, you don't like any of the schools in the district. You're like, gosh, I really don't like these schools, but I don't want to pay for a private school. But I guess I'm going to have to man up and just pay to send my kid to a private school. But now you have open enrollment. You're like, okay. 
I can just I can keep my money in the public school sector. I can keep it in the sector, and I can go to a different district. I'm not necessarily moving from public to private. I'm staying in the public school sphere, and opponents need to realize that this is a pub, pro public school bill. They all talk about we're going to lose students. It's always leave, lose, leave, lose. But there's also a retain and gain aspect. Districts are going to gain students. They're going to retain students. Sure. And one other point I'd like you to address, you have a recent blog post up at showmeinstitute.org um, talking about sports. That's something that people um, talk about when we, we talk about students moving around is, oh, it's just going to turn into recruitment for the basketball team. They're going to go around and that's what, what schools are going to do, recruit. The, what, uh, if you could kind of summarize your, your recent blog post and address that issue. Yeah. So basically there was a fear. is like, oh, I mean, if we have open enrollment, the 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 districts with the facilities like the big facilities the great teams they're going to get all the kids and be like oh we got to go play for coach McCamey or coach Bradley like these guys know what they're doing we got to go there but with the bill there's a 365 day cap once you transfer so if you transfer if you're like a star football player in 11th grade you transfer 12th grade year to a new school you can't play you can only play JV and although I'm a little I'm a little hesitant on that, but I understand why it has to be in there. Like there could be recruiting, so I understand why it has to be in there. But the people need to also remember that not to just think about recruiting. The movement is going to go both ways. People are going to go to better schools and they're going to end up on better programs. But people also like smaller schools. Sometimes they want to be a big fish in a small pond. They think they're not getting enough playing time at the bigger school. So, oh, I'm going to go to the smaller school, showcase my skills. And that happens. The movement's going to go both ways. As I was saying before, people are always like, leave, lose, leave, lose. It's one directional, but it's really not. Open enrollment, it's going to be two directional. People are going to be moving both ways, and I think it's going to be able to benefit a lot of different schools in different ways. All right, well, we'll see uh, what happens in the Senate. Let's wrap up with uh, what everyone is keeping tabs on over the next week. And Elias, we will start with you. So this week, the House started putting together its budget, um, well, going from today, they will be submitting their amendments and voting on the House floor. So I'm going to be tracking how much money the uh, House decides to spend. The governor a few months ago put out his over $50 billion budget, which is substantially larger than the $33 billion budget uh, Missouri had a few years ago. So seeing where those spending priorities are, and then uh, as the Senate starts to take up that uh, process, seeing where seeing where the money goes and whether some of these really big projects that the governor laid out, if uh, those will be receiving funding or not. And this is the part of the process that kind of matters, right? Like the the governor's budget is largely symbolic. Like you said, it kind of lets us know what his priorities are. But now is they're going to decide how they spend the money. Right. And there's tons of federal money still. We're still looking at a lot of the American Relief, uh, American Re- the ARPA funds, and uh, there's billions, billions of dollars there. There's money from the Federal Infrastructure Act. So there's a lot of money for roads, bridges, you know, various projects in the, um, you know, the health healthcare space, stuff like that. And so I, it's not really clear how many of the governor's ideas are going to be um, gaining traction. I know just yesterday there was discussion of whether, you know, the governor proposed uh, expanding pre-K. The House appears to be uh, kind of against that idea in some other um, areas of child care subsidies, stuff like that. So there's there's a lot of discussion to be had there. And I'm hoping that the uh, legislature devotes a lot of time to it simply because there's just so much money on the line. David, what are you tracking? 
still tracking a few of the a few of the terrible bills in the legislature that have had that have moved so far. That would be the film tax credit, the entertainment tax credit. Those are very closely related, and the land bank bill. Uh, Elias, jump in here. And the, for the film and entertainment tax credits, different versions have passed by this point, both through the the sen- both the Senate and the House for the most part. I think they have to be reconciled and repassed finally. So hopefully, hopefully there's somebody, somebody who loves to filibuster <laughs> in the Senate, perhaps, to step up and kill these these terrible bills. As for the land bank, I believe that has passed out of the House, but thankfully that's not a advanced out of the Senate yet. So hopefully that can be old old filibuster can come back into play and and if it moves at all stop the land bank. The last thing Missouri needs is uh I'm the Latin phrasing I've been using for months is escaping me. I went all spring break, believe it or not, without using the 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 phrase. Uh I, I don't remember what it is. Terum Ripum Vici. Terum Ripum Vici. Thank you, Zach. <laughs> Terum Ripum. That's, you've been texting that a lot, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Terum Ripum Vici. Uh, <laughs> land banks must be defeated. We do not need them in Missouri. Absolutely terrible public policy to expand them around the state, and hopefully it gets stopped. And Avery. The electric vehicle mandates, they might come to a stop. They might not be allowed anymore. They passed through the House a bill banning electric vehicle charging station mandates. Well, not banning. The government has to pay for it, but yeah. And I hope that keeps the momentum in the Senate. Remember, this is the mandate that people leave it to markets for electric vehicle charging. Nothing. We have no problem with charging stations, but these government mandates are just completely unnecessary. Yeah, they're inefficient, and the market does it better. That does it for this week. Thank you all for listening. For those of you in the St. Louis area, we have Jason Riley at uh, St. Louis University on April 19th. Go to showmeinstitute.org under the events tab, and we have a couple other events. Uh, is it there. free to attend? You know what, David? It is free. Is it, I thought it was 10 bucks. Is it, is it 10 bucks? <laughs> it is free. Um, free to attend, people. Elias, David, Avery, thank you very much. Thank you.